You know, this show just keeps getting better and better and better. And it certainly has nothing to do with me. Dylan, Ryan, Aaron, Davey, the whole crew behind all of this has made it better and better. Today is no different. MVP of Super Bowl 25. Otis, O.J. Anderson, is going to join us, uh, former giant in the giant ring of honor. He's going to join. We're going to talk about last night's debacle where, well, quite frankly, Daniel Jones has no chance. You can dislike Daniel Jones all you want, but he's got no chance. And then, man, oh, man, am I excited about this. Ennis Freedom is going to join us. And I got to tell you, I am honored to have Ennis Freedom, formerly Ennis Cantor, uh, join our show today. He is a man that is doing so much across the board and is so fearless in what he is doing. He is standing up, standing up, and standing up. It's what he's doing, and we're going to get into that. I'm going to find out from him a simple question, and I wonder if you guys out there have the same questions for me. I'm not the brightest bulb. We all know that, and all I ever hear is, well, you know, everybody's emboldened to China. Yeah, everybody's in bed with China. I want to know what does that mean. I do. I want to know what does that mean from an NBA perspective? What does that mean from a worldwide perspective? And I don't think there's anybody better to ask than Ennis Freedom. We're going to get into all of that. You know, I'm getting a little tired of everything is based on race. You know, coverage is all based on race. And maybe I'm off base here. I could be. But I look at coverage of Brett Favre and Emi Odoka, and I say to myself, well, both are dirtbags. I mean, it's not that difficult. Both are dirtbags. And we started covering Brett Favre, and we started covering Brittany Griner way before anybody else did. I was back the first payments Brett Favre made about six months ago. We talked about that, and we talked about how Brett Favre was a dirtbag for even having to pay back welfare money to the state of Mississippi. Think about that. Think about that. You're taking, as Brett Favre, a guy who's made hundreds of millions of dollars, or at least he should have made hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's got to pay welfare money. I'm going to get into what he should have said in a minute, but we're shocked that Brett Favre is a con man. We're stunned that a guy selling magnets for your knees on television is a con man. Child, please. And Emmy Adoka is a straight dirtbag as well. And so is the woman, whoever she is, that Udoka had an affair with. Let's be honest. Why has she not come forward? I'm going to continue to say this. I know Malika Andrews stopped Stephen A. Smith in the middle of his show to say, we're not talking about the woman. No, we should be talking about the woman. Do you want separate and equal or do you want equal? What, What do we want here? Do we want equal treatment or do we want, excuse me, special but equal? You tell me. Hey, look, if you want special but equal, I'm all in. But the fact of the matter is, it took two to tango in this Udoka deal. And if some married woman decided that she was going to have an affair with the basketball coach, okay, fine. But don't start complaining now that women in the Boston Celtics organization are under scrutiny. It can be solved very quickly. One woman comes out, I was the woman, I'm embarrassed about it, I'm so sorry about it, never meant to hurt anybody emotions, whatever, got the best of me, and it clears all the women. That, that's it. And I don't want to hear about victims in this case. I have enough respect for women because I have always hung out with strong women. I have enough respect for women where they can say, hey, look, no, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. Hey, you can want to have sex with me, but get the hell out of here. I'm a married woman. 
I have enough respect for women to say that. That's how I look at my wife, my daughter, uh, my ex-wife, my mother, my sister-in-law, my sister. Who else? Damn near every woman I've ever been around is not, well, I'm a little victim. No, uh uh-uh. Hey, Amy, you want to have the sex? Ain't happening. I'm married. Or Amy, you want to have the sex? Let's go. And then when Amy gets caught, you stand up. Brett Favre, the the coverage is, well, you know, they're not covering Brett Favre. I am. That's the beauty of this show. See, people don't realize it yet. We were on Brittany Griner way before people started talking about Brittany Griner. We were on this way before. Nothing racial about this. You got to read through. This is a civil lawsuit that's happening. So what happens in a civil lawsuit among rich people is information slowly comes out. Now, there's no criminal case against either. There's a $20 million civil case against this dirtbag here. But don't give me that crap about ones being shown, ones not. Hell, uh, Brett Favre, uh, his cases, his stuff is all over the national, the big time, the ABCs, the CBS, the NBCs. Both are dirtbags. There's three dirtbags in this. Actually, four, the governor, the ex-governor of Missouri, dirtbag as well. The woman that had the affair with the Celtics basketball coach, the Celtics basketball coach, Brett Favre, the former governor, Bryant, dirtbags. And any other coverage in that, great, good, bad, happy, or sad. But my God, do you want, what do you want? Not one woman that I know, and maybe I live in a weird world. Maybe I just live in a world where women are too strong. My mother started laughing. She's, my mother's 84, 85 years old. She's like, hey, what, what, what about the woman? What, what happened to her? My, my wife, what, what happened to the woman? My daughter asked me. That's, that's the way normal people think. That's not the way Twitter thinks. Or that's not the way Alika Andrews thinks. All these other children that haven't had anything happen to them. And they have no ass to them, meaning they have no experience in this. And all of a sudden in life, and all of a sudden they dictate policy. They're not dictating policy to this guy. Women are strong, man. Women, well, we're not talking about that. Shut up. We should be. If the women of the Boston Celtics have a shadow cast over them, then it's time for the woman that was stupid, the basketball coach, to step up and say it was me and get the cloud. Or do you not have any integrity? Are you Brett Favre? Brett Favre's a dirtbag. Brett Favre's always been a dirtbag. Brett Favre ain't never going away from being a dirtbag. So just stop it. He's not being covered. Like, Udoka, shut up. We should have a segment that just says, shut up. My God. Drive you nuts. I'll tell you also needs to shut up, and I've had enough, of Kim Mulkey. Most people don't even know who the hell Kim Mulkey is. Kim Mulkey's this little whiny-ass coach. She's a great coach, apparently. You know, she's all scrappy. So, back in the day, Kim Mulkey made her bones, made her bones on Brittany Griner. She did. Made her bones on Brittany Griner. Undefeated season. And Kim Mulkey became a little scrappy. Oh, we got to pay attention to the little fire plug. Yeah, 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 my ass. So Kim Mulkey's a little scrappy. Kim Mulkey 
uh, has a player. Her name is Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner is currently in jail in Russia. Now, coaches say all the time, hey, look, we want to hear, or no, I'm sorry, we're here for our players. It's a lifetime. I remember Jimmy Cruz, the assistant basketball coach at Indiana, saying Indiana basketball isn't a four-year proposition. It's a lifetime proposition. Yeah, pull this, it plays jingle bells. As soon as Bob Knight got fired, all that crap went away. It was a Bob Knight thing. That's it. Well, what is it at Baylor and Kim Mulkey? Let's play what this clown had to say. And how would you describe that process of, of putting that collective group together? And then, too, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Brittany Griner's situation. And uh, I don't think I've seen anything from you on that. And, just, uh, can you, and you won't. I'll answer the first one for you. Yeah, she sits there like she's the queen of Sheba. And you won't. Shut up. You know, the, the arrogant D-bag coach, black, white, male, female, I, I've had enough. And I was the arrogant D-bag coach. No question about it. I, I've had enough. I mean, un- and you won't. Shut up. Honest to God, why not? I mean, are we not allowed to ask little Scrappy? I mean, her former players are crushing her. Her former players are like, yeah, well, uh, where's the loyalty? Her former players are destroying her. And they should. Hell, I know I'm a bad guy to people, but we just had a funeral for a former player. You know who paid for most of it? Me. You know who took all my former players out, bought them dinner and drinks? Me. And I know I'm a bad guy. Look, I get it. But my God, we're so afraid of a little scrappy. I'm a little scrappy. You know, it's exhausting. This woman is exhausting. This coach, whatever you want to call her, is exhausting. She is absolutely 1,000% exhausting. Why isn't she giving her thoughts? Like, I'm not saying her thoughts are going to do any good. I'm not saying her thoughts need to be, well, Russia is an awful place. That could exasperate it. But certainly you could show your former players and your former player over in Russia that's detained. You could certainly show her that you have some empathy. Now, apparently, uh, little Scrappy doesn't want, uh, well, I don't know doesn't like the LGTB community, uh, good, good for her. If that's who she is, great. Go get them. Go fight win. But this isn't about that. This has nothing to do with who you like or who you dislike. What group of people your Christian values respect or don't respect. It has nothing to do with that. What this has to do with is basic human kindness. Here's one of her former players, a player that built Baylor two national titles in a 40-zip record, yet her former coach refuses to say anything or simply show any kind of support. Keep that in mind when you're choosing schools. That's from, uh, I don't know her real name. She plays for the Fever here. Queen Egbo is her name. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Shakira Austin, who was a player as well, says, it's all business. Shake my head. 
Once you no longer benefit their lives, watch how they move after. Recruits, I don't know what else to suggest besides go overseas and be selfish. People are crushing her. Lexi Gordon, no, seriously, y'all. Your coach needs to be someone you can see in your life and supporting you. Keep that in mind. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's disgusting. It's the, it shows that, you know what, here's another fake Christian. I don't care if you support LG. It doesn't matter to me. You support the people that helped you in any small way. Been very easy to say, you know what, I, I, I've tried to get a hold of Brittany, blah, 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 blah. But this little pain in the ass, I'm a little scrappy. I, I can't stand the arrogant coach anymore. I just can't. Again, come at me, men, women. I say the same thing about Archie Miller. A little scrappy, so I, you know, I went, went man, too, so y'all don't lose your mind on that. It's insane. Drives me nuts. It does. I hate to sit here and bitch the whole time, but things today drive me nuts. And good for her former players. Good for her former players standing up. So a guy on Twitter, good. She has every right to keep her opinion to herself, and I have every right to criticize her. It's not how you go about it as a coach. You sell the fact that you as a coach are a mentor. You sell the fact that you will... Yeah, baby, we had a power surge because this is hot today. I'm on fire. Sniffing Joe Biden, number 46 right there, and your picture had the Braves in, and for whatever the reason, Joe Biden, get all the 15-year-olds up here. I got to tell you, and I don't care what you do with this. I've seen enough video. I had a daughter. If she was under 15, she ain't coming up there with him. I don't give a damn if he's the president. I'm not having that creepy-eyed dude sniffing my daughter. I'm not. Let's play the video. We got a little video here of Joe Biden. Practically overnight, play by play, anybody, and then you grind, you ground it out, and you did it Jesus. together. You made the playoffs and beat the Braves, the, the Brewers, and the Dodgers, and then you beat the Astros to win it all. Yeah, well, that didn't show the part where he wanted 15-year-olds up there. Yeah, beat the Braves. That's the leader of the free world, and you all are seriously going to vote for him? There's nothing, nothing more important than voting in these midterms. There's nothing more important than getting this whole crew out. I mean, it just depends on what you want out of life. Do you want that? A career politician who's made zillions and can't even speak, and the dude is talking about running again. You got to be out of your mind. You got to be insane. I'm literally telling you this. I would not allow my 15-year-old daughter to go up on stage with him. Don't need it. No. I wouldn't allow my 15-year-old son. I don't need him up there sniffing. I don't need him up there doing the things that I've seen him do on video. And yet somehow, some way, it's okay. Explain that to me, please, will you? Can anybody explain how it's okay the things that I've seen this guy do, holding little kids' head, sniffing them, and not one major news organization reports on any of this? There's no investigation into anything this guy has done, and you see it right there? I don't give a daggone if the Braves come to see him. I don't care if he makes one Braves. We understand that he's already said he has cancer. He said the stupidest things. He doesn't know where he is. But I don't like the fact that 15-year-old kids were pulled up there on stage with him. And I'm sorry if you don't like it. I'm sure this will get pulled off YouTube. But it's creepy, it's awful, and that's exactly who our president is. And if you don't see it, I can't help you. 
but it's disgusting. It is. And it's been apparently going on for a while because the videos you see aren't exactly great and they aren't exactly from yesterday. The racism this guy talks about, the sniffing this guy does, the money this guy's made, and you all are going to vote for him and you're out of your mind. I don't think you all voted for him the last time. I really don't. But hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, I don't like these next three stories. Two of them are, are bad. One's good. Miles Garrett uh, it was injured in a single car crash. Now, thankfully for Miles Garrett and his companion, they were both wearing seatbelts. Wear your seatbelt. He was coming home from practice. I don't know what happened. And I'm just glad the dude is okay. It made me think life is precious. You're driving down the street. Next thing you know, you're in a crash. Hey, man, be careful out there. I see it every day. Every day I leave this show and every day I drive downtown Indy, and I don't know what the deal is, but on the east side of Indianapolis, driving in, people are out of their freaking minds. True story. I used to drive in from the west side. People weren't as out of their minds. Maybe there weren't as many cars. But driving east to west in Indy, people are psychotic, insane. And then you get to this one exit. It's uh, when you get off the highway. I don't know the streets, like 11th Street. Holy cow, it's where IUPUI is. I've seen people run into the middle of the intersection. I've seen, because everybody's a college kid and everybody's on their phone. I'm not suggesting Miles Garrett was on his phone. What I'm suggesting is be careful and wear your seatbelt. Do yourself a favor. Be careful, wear your seatbelt. Because this could have been a damn tragedy. I don't know the wreck. I didn't see the wreck. I didn't watch the wreck. I know this. When I heard that he wore a seatbelt, I wanted to have this, and I wanted to uh, reiterate. When I was growing up, you didn't have to wear your seatbelt. When I was growing up, we used to whine and complain about having to wear a seatbelt. I remember my Aunt Debbie's boyfriend, my brother and I were in the back seat of the car, and they're like, you got to wear your seatbelt. I'm like, what are you talking about? I want to wear my seatbelt. I want to wear it. Wear your daggone seatbelt. This also, Hurricane Ian is moving in, so the Tampa Bay Bucks, it's moving into Tampa, so the Tampa Bay Bucks are moving their operation to Miami to go practice with the Dolphins. A hurricane cane is looming. You got to get out. And that's no joke. I remember first date my wife and I went on. I get divorced, over. You know, a divorce doesn't just happen. I get divorced, it's over. So the way I worked it was, yeah, I'm not dating anybody. I'm not doing anything until my divorce is over. So after my divorce was over, I started dating my wife. We went on a trip. We went to Marco Island a few months later, whatever. We're in Marco, no, no, yeah, yeah, Marco Island. We're in Marco Island, and next thing you know, hurricane's coming. She got the last flight, I got the last car. It's no joke. I got in a car, I drove like crazy north. Now, I'm sure somebody will criticize that. She was on an Allegiant flight and got out. But I got to tell you, man, those things are scary. When you see people boarding up condos and you see people boarding up homes and you see people uh, doing things like getting on that bridge across Marco Island, you're like, wait a second, this is serious. A hurricane's no joke. Make no mistake. So good for the Bucks to get out of there. I hope everybody is safe. I really do. I, it's scary. Like we talk about hurricanes, like we talk about everything else. They're so common, particularly this time of year. It's like, eh, it's a hurricane. Eh, what are you going to do? Eh, 
But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Getting out of a hurricane and you see the preparation for a hurricane. I remember asking a family, you want to drive with me? I got a car. They're like, no, we're good. We got a flight. But they looked like crazy. I go, where are y'all going? They were going like to Atlanta. I said, look, jump in. I don't even know if you go through Atlanta on the way home. I guess you do. But they didn't. They were lucky enough that they had a flight. But man, oh man, hurricane is no joke. No joke. So there you go. Don't mess around with it. Speaking of no joke, actually he is a joke. Zion Williamson is the most overrated, over-talked about basketball player ever. Anybody in America that has his ability can put up numbers. It's time for this guy to get serious about his craft. I've said this forever. It doesn't work to be fat in the NBA. I'm sorry. Well, your body's shaming. Yeah, I don't care what I'm doing. It doesn't pay to be fat. Every fat guy that's been really good in the NBA got skinny, got in shape, got his body right. It doesn't pay. So Zion Williamson, well, let's see the video. I think he's feeling good. And if he's feeling good, this is a bad boy because he's really a smart basketball player. Let's see the video, Zion Williamson, because apparently we got to talk about a guy that's done nothing but some statistics in the NBA. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I feel like I'm in my best right now. Uh, I feel like I'm moving faster, jumping higher. Uh, I just I feel great. There you go. That's good news for the NBA. Look, I, I think I speak for most NBA fans. Again, black or white, I get it. That uh, People are a little tired of Kevin Durant. I watched the Kevin Durant interview this morning, and I was tired of him. That's a guy, Zion Williamson, I can get behind. He's got that impish little kid look, right? That I like him. Peyton Manning has it to a degree, but Peyton's is more of like, I'm not really sure what it is. But his is more, uh, I like it. I think the kid is a brilliant basketball player. I think he has a brilliant basketball mind. Obviously, he's a freak athlete, right? I mean, what the heck? But the dude is brilliant. He makes the right pass. He knows how to play. I like watching him play basketball, so I want him in shape. He looked in shape-ish there. His arms look good. But you always got to watch big guys. They look okay, but is there a little sheen of a little layer, a little, uh, little fat guy thing over him? It's like when you watch older guys play basketball. They're in shape, but not the kind of shape where you're like the skin is taut to the muscle. There's a little bit of old guy bigness when you watch. That's why I'll never, ever, ever wear a tank top. I actually saw my belly yesterday in the mirror, and I did not like what I saw. I got that thing. No. So today I announced for the sake of devoting my life to fitness. We got an unbelievable show. I'm so fired up today. I don't know if you could tell. Otis O.J. Anderson, MVP of Super Bowl 25, former Giant, is going to join us. We're going to talk about the fact that you can hate on Daniel Jones all you want, but Daniel Jones is getting killed. 43%. Listen to this. He was pressured 43% of the time last night against the Cowboys, and that was the least amount of pressure that Daniel Jones has faced this year is ridiculous last night. You can hate on Daniel Jones. Good for you. Hate on him. Do your thing. Blah, 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 blah. But it ain't his fault, man. The line can't block. The scheme's no good. We'll talk about it with a legend. Otis, O.J. Anderson next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. 
Ladies and gentlemen, 14 years in the NFL, MVP of Super Bowl 25, and I am, well, I got to tell you, I remember sitting watching that Super Bowl and watching like, whoa, ain't nobody stopping O.J. Anderson. Otis O.J. Anderson, who broke the great Chuck Foreman's record. A lot of you don't know Chuck Foreman. Chuck Foreman with the Minnesota Vikings, was a freaking stud at Miami. Then he was a stud with the Vikings, used to destroy my Bears, couldn't guard him. O.J. went down to Miami, broke his record, and then he got in the NFL and became an All-Pro. Nice enough to join us. Hey, uh, you are on your way to a golf tournament to raise money. Um, I was doing some research on you. This is You do a lot of this. You're not afraid to give back. Thanks for doing that, and thanks for joining the show. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I look at the fact that I was blessed. I had some good people in my life that kind of guided me and taught me the importance of giving back. So I just try to give a bunch of my time to different organizations that uh, are trying to make a difference either with kids or or, or, with, or, or causes of like cancer, diabetes, all those kind of illness that are out there that constantly need to be kept aware of. I try to make sure I uh, support. Rodney Hampton and you went into uh, the New York Giants ring of honor. What does that mean to you? You know, I was a mentor to Rodney, and to see a kid come out of Georgia with so much ability and had a short career, but it was very productive. Sometimes, you know, the question is, you know, it's not about, how long you play is what you do when you play. And Rodney put up some good numbers. He did a lot of great things for us. And, you know, had he not got hurt in the Chicago Bears game, you know, this conversation about MVP and what I accomplished probably won't be had. That conversation probably won't be had. You know, it's always – I'm curious about this because I coached for a long time, uh, college basketball played, and – I was, I don't know, I'm curious how you guys are. Do you think about the losses more or do you think about the wins more? I mean, we talk, we talk more than likely, more about wins than losses. I, I mean, nobody really cares about how many games you lost or how many games you win. If you look at the Super Bowl and go back and look at who, who played in the Super Bowl, I couldn't tell you who lost, but I can tell you who won the Super Bowl or who <laughs> won games. Look at last night. You know what? I can't tell you. Uh, uh, who I can't tell you who lost, but I know Giants didn't win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cowboys won. So you know that's how I look at it. It's, fu- it's funny. Coaches always, always, whenever I talk to coaches, they always remember the losses more than the wins. Unless, of course, it's a it's a Super Bowl. What did you think last night? At some point, the Giants got a block for this guy, Danny Jones, don't they? Yeah, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a pickle right now, boys. Trying to figure out what we're going to do with Daniel, and 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 you know it, it's going to be hard for a while before it get better. I mean, I think the, the, the GM and the head coach that we have here are going to one day make us respectable again, but it's going to take a minute because we have been damaged tremendously for a while, and that's what's so sad is that you know he's been damaged uh, himself, and and he's trying his best to do everything he can, you know, it's a lot of negativity about him and, 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 and it's hard. It's hard to be fair and judge him 
uh, honestly, when you look at what he had to work with. Why has this been? Why has this been such a struggle for the Giants? Well, when you win championships like we won and you've been on top of the NFC, you don't get the draft early. You get the draft late in the draft. And sometimes you're not getting, you know, uh, blue, like Nick Saban. You're not getting blue star athletes, you know. It's all about draft and it's all about coming to your school or coming to your team. You know, we we was one of those teams that has been successful for a very long time and, and, and talent wasn't our issue. But as the years went on, you can see where, um, you know, a lot of teams started rebuilding. While they were rebuilding, we were still winning championships. And now we're at that point where we're in a rebuilding mode and and just trying to find our way with the right leadership to help us rebuild. If you look at the three coaches that have been in, in the fold and has been the coach of Daniel Jones, he has been given a fair, a fair shake. What made what made Parcells great? He can relate to players. Um, <laughs> he knew us individually how to push our buttons to get the best out of us, and probably the most important factor made Parcells great: fear. You know, fear of not being on the team, fear of being demoted from your position fear of being part of other phases of the football game that you as a person really don't want to be a part of, quote-unquote quote, special team. All of those things, you know, about Bill that that um, made him – but more than anything, he can relate to players. Do, do you think you can coach that way still? Uh No. That's why he got out of football. You remember he was in Dallas for a while, and that's when the when they start turning over where kids start controlling the team, and and it's no low. It was no longer a coach that had the power. The kid had the power. They can go talk directly to the owners, and the owners make the decision based on what the their franchise players were saying. So now Bill can have done well in this, and he has some super super franchise athletes. That's not even compatible. These kids can't be compared to with the people he coached in this uh, in this in this time period. I uh, I got to know Coach Parcells and Coach Belichick working for Bobby Knight at Indiana, and he always told me he had a, always had a basketball hoop uh, at the building or the facility, and he said Carl Banks used to whoop up on everybody. I'll never forget that. Uh, you might be right. Um, I know when I got there, there was a basketball uh, hoop in the back of the uh, equipment room, so uh, that could be a true statement. I, I I don't know. I didn't really play against Carl Banks uh, when I got to the team. So, uh, again, at that part, I don't know. But if he said it, then it, it right. could happen. How big is this rivalry? Right now, since 2017, uh, O.J., the Giants are 1-10 against the Cowboys. Now, there are certain rivalries that have died in the NFL. I feel like that rivalry hasn't died. How big a rivalry is that? It's big, but the Cowboys got – that was a rivalry to a lot of teams. Everybody hates 
Dallas. It ain't just not Giants. <laughs> Everybody on the division hated him. And when I was a Cardinal playing there, we hated them. So, you know, it, it, because it's the following of the Cowboys that make you despite them so much. It's, they're so arrogant, and they and and they and their owner flows from the owner, you know. And and it, it's you know you know you know you have that that kid in the neighborhood that it's not quite a bully, but he just he just pisses you off all the time by his ethics and and his knows all about everything. That, that's the Cowboys. They think they they think they they they're the best team in the whole world. They think that that star gives them. Supernatural powers that that nobody else has, or that star gives them the, the the right to say that they're America team. You know, dude, you ain't America team, but you know they, they and then they fans fall right into that, and 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 that's why it's such a dislike when it comes to the Cowboys. You know, you can't you can't you can't pick a team in the whole league. And everybody said we don't like, it. and I guarantee you, if you, if you took a survey, it'll turn be them Darren Cowboys, and then maybe followed by them Darren Eagles. Well, let me ask you, who do you like to watch? Who in the NFL? What team or what players do you relate to or like to watch? Um, I'm a fan of the Giants, man. I'm not going to turn my back on that. I think I think we have we started to develop a team that's worth watching following based on the last few years. Uh, but I'm interested in running backs. I like to watch running backs. I mean, Derrick Henry is also a beast. I love watching him perform. Uh, I like Barkley. I like the way what he does and how he performs. Uh, you know, uh, McCaffrey's not a bad guy. Uh, he's pretty entertaining. And and then you got Wolf, um, I think it is, down in Detroit. Uh, he's another good young running back that I, I like watching. So I'm more in the running back than I am to see. Walter Payton's my favorite all-time football player driving or uh, <laughs> uh, growing up outside Chicago. Give me your thoughts on him, if you don't mind. One of the greatest ever. One of the greatest ever. He was tough. Um, he didn't let his size hinder him. He played big for a man that wasn't big, but he had one of the biggest hearts to play the game. And you knew when you played against him, you fought your your lunch pail and your hard hat because it's going to be an all-day work. And a whole lot of times, he made a lot of defensive backs that make a career decision on how to tackle him. Did guys do that back in the day? Like, we talk about it now. Guy made a business decision to get out of the way of Derrick Henry. You know, that kind of thing. Did you know as a running back as big and strong as you were when a guy would make a business decision? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you know. You yeah. You turn the corner. I'm coming around that corner. I'm packing 225, 230 pounds with a 4440. Yeah, you're going to make that business decision. No, no. When you when, last thing before I let you go, I really appreciate. It. I know you're. I know you're busy. Um, a lot of guys complain about the way football is played today. You know, um, what do you think of the game itself? 
Well, the game is what it is. I mean, like everybody else, you got to tell. These are the rules, regulations of the game, and they're starting to teach it from Little League all the way up. Same thing that we did that made us appreciate the game the way we played it. We were taught at a younger age, and and we developed it, and, and, and that's, how, that's how it is. So it is what it is. Uh, I mean, I don't play it. I don't care for it, so, you know, the, the way it is, but – it is a little bit more exciting somewhat with, with the passing and less two, two backs in the backfield, old school fullback, halfback, and grind it out type of game. So, yeah, it's, it's what it is. It's entertainment. That's what it meant to me at this point. Um, you know, it's to entertain millions and millions of fans by putting a lot of points on the board and having all these incredible catches and quarterback making all these impossible and for real like throwing and for real like yardage every week you know guys throw for almost 500 yards come on come on really okay that's what they want so they want entertainment that's what they get it i always say this did you did you view it when you were playing like there's a difference between sport and entertainment like, did you view it? You didn't view it as entertainment. You viewed it as trying to whoop somebody that's playing against you in a sport, did you not? It was a job for us. You know, we, we, we knew that every day that we suited up, we were going to war. You know, we, 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 we knew we were going to work. It was going to be an all-day experience. Uh, we didn't have all the hoopla's. I mean, you know, you... You down thirty points and you make a tackle and you jump it up doing cartwheels and high fiving everybody, but your team down thirty points. See that that's that's what I mean by by highlights, by 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 it being entertainment. You know, when you was getting your butt whooped, the last thing you want to do is bring more attention to the butt whooping that you get. But these kids, it's they it's 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 accepted, you know. It's it's, it's, it's you know, it, it doesn't matter you down when it's thirty points. You make a tackle, hey, that's your job. Like the quarterback, that's your job. You jump it up and down and, you know, and back in the day when we played, you know, we, we didn't do that. We didn't even, like these kids, you know, if, if I'm down 40 points and, and somebody sacked my quarterback and he's jumping up, I'm going at the school. I said, look, look, look what you're doing. Your team down 40 points, so that shows me you're an individual and you're selfish, you know, and that's how I would look at it. Because if you lose the next minute, you're not in a good mood. You're not in a good mood, and the last thing you want to do is be up jumping and yelling and screaming like you, like the game is tied and you made a play that changed the, the outcome of the game. I get that, and that's how it was. But dude, you're down 30 points, and you're not acting like y'all. Come on. Entertainment, man. It's entertainment. Not told to be bored. You know, we just had it. Huh? We just had it here in Indy. Chris Jones sacked Chris Jones sacked Matt Ryan, and the game is yeah. basically over. But then he gets in over. his face, and next thing you know, a flag. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's, again, it's not about, about winning as much as it was about the respect of the game and for your fellow teammates. You know, uh, it's all about, you know, it's all about, it's all about social media. Social media has created these monsters. They, they are glorifying every and anything 
I'm not going to say negative, but I'm saying negative. When I, when I say negative, I mean if you about, lose about 30 points and you make a play and you jump up and down and you bring attention to yourself, that's what I mean, negative stuff. So there's social media. These guys are about posting and followers on social media. The more they can create a, awareness and following by the antics they perform on the field, the rewards they get for having it. So, oh, but this is what we live in. That's why I say football is entertainment. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just it's it's great talking to you. Um, you were Stephen Baker, the touchdown maker. Yes, sir. Right here next to me. Uh, he was your presenter for the Ring of Honor. Is that what you told me? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. He was the guy that put my blue jacket on my body. That's awesome, man. Hey, uh, last thing I'm watching last night. My wife was a. Uh, coach at Syracuse and she's like I'm telling you New York fans are the great how great was it playing in New York and how great was it winning a Super Bowl for the Giants in that city well I got Steven next to me Steven uh, what do you think about that what do you think about that question babe? well I gotta tell you it is such a humbling experience because the Giants fan base is I don't know all this played in St. Louis I don't know how it is with other teams but the New York Giants fan base, we've been out the game 30-plus years. We still do signings, and the lines are out the door. So it's a, it, was, it was an honor to play it here, and I will never leave. This is where this is home for me now, the New York Giants and the New York Giants fan base. That, that's How cool right is that, there. man? You cannot get a better, can't get a better supporting cast of, of fans that just bleed blue. Uh, you know, as bad as the teams were back in the day and and where we are now, trying to regain respectability, fans show up every week wishing, hoping, and they still love winners. And like you said before, we actually about lose, losses and, and wins. This is what it's all about, you know. They remember that Baker and I won championships. We didn't lose, we won them. And they pass that on to generation to generation. It's awesome, man. Hey, thank you, Stephen, and thank you, OJ. It's an honor talking to you both, man. Have a great day today, and I really appreciate you taking a few minutes. It's been a lot of fun. Well, listen, I appreciate this. You know, I, like I tell people, I made the wall of the giant ring of honor. Now maybe the hall of pro football. From the wall to the hall, that's what I'm <laughs> hoping to happen now. <laughs> You, sh- you know, <laughs> that's, that's good Lorraine to it, all right? Good Lorraine to it, all right? Yes, sir. That's my, hey, my, hall- my tagline. How many Hall of Fames are you in right now? Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. Um, I'm in uh, Cardinals. I'm, no, I'm not Cardinals. I'm sorry. I'm in Miami and uh, St. Louis. They put me in their Hall of, 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 of Fame in St. Louis. And uh, I'm in the ring of honor for the Giants, which is like a Hall of Fame. My name forever be uh, uh, emulated at the stadium yeah. forever, ever, and ever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm making my way, but I still got one more big one to try to get a, get a picture or a face in it. One day. You one deserve day. it. You, you deserve well, it. From the wall to the hall.
Onus O.J. Anderson. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That's uh, Stephen Baker, the touchdown maker, and Otis O.J. Anderson. What a great time, man. <laughs> See, I love guys hey, like that. You. I love the fact that uh, – huh? So I said thank you very much. I appreciate it. Stephen, thank you. That's awesome. Absolutely. What a great group of guys, man. Every I'm telling you, man, you talk about him mentoring Rodney Hampton. You talk about all that. It's fantastic. It's just it's just great stuff. And now you got to root for the Giants. If you don't root for the Giants now, I can't help you. <laughs> that was fun. That was fantastic. From the wall, the Giants wall, to the hall. Should be. MVP, Super Bowl 25, All-Pro, Pro Bowl, couple, 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 couple times. I mean, damn, first team All-Pro. I don't know about you, but what a better dude than all that. I mean, what a great guy. What great men, man. That's just a lot of fun. That's, it's always fun to talk. And, and I try to tell you, you don't get to be great like these guys are great. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, I don't know. You're, I always say guys that play football are the smartest, best dudes ever. Basketball players, we're kind of prima donnas, right? Football players are the smartest. You got to be. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a football playbook. I mean, it's as thick as my fat head, and it's amazing. And they're the best dudes, particularly when you get a chance to talk to guys my age or older. I mean, they just appreciate everything that, you know, they've had, and they're tough, and they're great people, and they give back. It, it, I'm, I'm, I say it all the time, and I'll continue to say it all the time. I will. Football players are the best, man. They are. Basketball players are wear you out. You know, football players, as, as uh, O.J. Anderson just said, think about it. He said that Bill Parcells, you know, coached with fear. You thought you are going to lose your job. Even a guy like that thought he was going to lose his job, thought you are going to lose your place, thought you are going to be on special teams. I mean, not going to make the team. Now, if you did that, a guy would run to his agent. I mean, that guy, Kenny Galladay, he's been complaining about not playing, not playing. Pass hits him right in the hands yesterday, and he drops it. Man, drive you nuts. But anyway, that was a lot of fun, and what two absolutely fantastic men right there. Absolutely fantastic. Um, We've got a great show for you today. i got my top five NFL players that are surprises and there's a lot right now. The NFL is interesting. Now, I do agree. Uh, and last night, back up. Let me back up a second. I'm so freaking tired of flags being thrown in NFL games. You can't watch that game last night. Every single play that happened, there's a penalty. And every single penalty was like, eh, I guess. Nah, I suppose. Yeah, all right. Honest to God. It was like, what, what are we doing? Every single, and I'm telling you, and you can argue with me, you can get mad at me, but the NFL said, hey, look, we got to get these older guys out of here. We got to get younger, more diverse, blah, 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 blah. I've talked to NFL officials about this, and they're not happy because you're sitting out there in the middle of Giants Stadium, and you got people throwing flags, and now even if you're the back judge and you didn't throw the flag, you got to hear it from everyone because all you're doing is is throwing flags, and they're showing it on the jumbotron that it's a little ticky tack deal. It's unbelievable to me. I will rail on this until I am blue in the face. I will. 
I'll rail on it like it's my damn job because it drives me nuts. It absolutely drives me bat blank crazy that they continue to rail. They rail, they rail, they rail. Uh, penalty, penalty. Every time, every time something happens, you got to look in the bottom there and go, was it a penalty? What happened? Oh, man. Last night drove me crazy. It was, And look, you want to complain about Daniel Jones? Complain about Daniel Jones. But his line stinks. 43% of the time he got pressured last night, and that was the lowest. All right, we come back. I got the five best mob movies. Why am I talking about mob movies? I'll tell you. Because yesterday, I did my afternoon show. I had to run errands. I got home. Excuse me. I had to do a bunch of stuff around the yard. I came in. I got on this Peloton. I turned on TV. Casino was on. So Casino's on. I'm watching Casino. And next thing you know, I always do on Tuesday a top five. And I'm like, ah, I wonder what my top five movies would be. So I'm going to give you my top five mob movies. I'm going to give you my top five NFL surprises. There are guys doing things in the NFL right now through three games that they've never done. Leading rushers, that kind of thing. So we're going to get into all of that when we come back. And ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled. Ennis Freedom, a.k.a. Ennis Kantner, is, I think, one of the five most courageous people in the country. I'm not saying he's the most because there's somebody in a military unit that's doing incredible things. But non-military division, Ennis Kantner may be the most, the most courageous dude out there. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. (laughs) Top 5 Tuesday. Yes, sir. It's Top 5 Tuesday. Ennis Freedom, a.k.a. Ennis Kantner, is going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. I cannot wait for that. I really can't. I think it's going to be spectacular. Can't wait to talk to him. All right. Let's go. It is mob movie time. Yeah, yesterday I'm watching Casino, and I'm like, you know what? Top five mob movies. There's a lot of mob movies, and there are some that aren't going to make the cut, and you're going to say, what in the heck are we doing? And I'm going to say, hey, look, it's top five mob movie time. Let's go through number five, Casino. I got to tell you, every one of these movies, when they are on, I stay and watch. I do. Now, the reason Casino isn't higher for me is I got a little tired of De Niro and his wife. I just got a little tired of her. I had enough of her. James Woods as the pimp was awesome. But this movie is literally spectacular. Actually, it's an education. It's an education on how casinos work because back in the day, that's how casinos work. Remember, uh, the the dealers are watching the customers. Somebody's watching the dealer. Someone's watching the guy watching the dealer. And the eye in the sky is watching it all. And there are guys up there looking down with binoculars trying to catch cheats. Robert De Niro, if you look at it, is a bit of a victim in this movie. But I would argue Casino is in the top five in any, anybody's anybody's, anytime, anywhere, uh, there. if you are making a mob movie top five, I would bet you Casino is in everybody's top five. There are a couple of these that may not make it into the top five. 
But I got to tell you, casino is an education. The only reason it isn't higher is because I just got tired. I, I, I got tired of, of uh, De Niro and his wife. I, I did that. It, it, it. But it's such a great movie. It is. It's the best. So, Sam Rothstein. And it's a true story-ish, right? It is. All right, number four, Pulp Fiction. Now, I'm a little bit weird, all right? And you could argue that Pulp Fiction is not a, uh, is not a movie based on the mob. You can make an argument that Pulp Fiction is based on two lower-level mob-ish guys. But when the Mr. Wolf comes out, when the wolf comes, the whole thing changes because the wolf is the epitome of the fixer. And every mob guy, every mob show has the fixer. And my favorite part is Harvey Keitel as the wolf. When the wolf comes out and basically says, here's what we're going to do, fellas. And it's such a caricature because he's in a suit in the morning for whatever the reason. I don't know. They call him in the morning. It's in the morning. Here he is. Uh, and he comes out. He's at some dinner party in the morning. The whole thing is whacked out, right? The whole thing is insane. But when the wolf shows, it is freaking awesome. And, and the scene in the college students, I assume they're college students, where, you know what? Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta just blow up these five or so kids. And they go into Cheeseburger Royale is a classic scene that must be watched, must be discussed, and must be viewed as a lesson to little punk blank kids that want to get into gambling and get in over their heads because it is always and will always be the same thing. You always worried back in the day that two guys, what do they always say? What are you going to send two guys to break my legs? No, we're going to send two guys to blow your ass up. We're going to send two guys to shoot you on the couch while you're having a cheeseburger royale, a royale with cheese. And then, of course, there's the scene, and it's a gosh darn awful scene where they're in the basement of the gun shop. The basement of the gun shop is not quite, not quite to the level, I don't think, of deliverance, but it's pretty bad. It's really bad. When you've got your daggone mouth filled with a uh, ball and a restraining around, and there's a guy standing behind you, and he looks like he's straight out of deliverance, I got to tell you, that's a bad, bad, bad scene. Marcellus Wallace... And thank God John Travolta decided that he was going to take care of business. Thank God he came back. Or this could have, or I'm sorry, Bruce Willis. Or this could have gotten nasty. I don't know how you feel, but I have watched Deliverance one time. And I will never watch it again. I saw the scene. I don't need to see it twice. I have no interest in it. It changed how I viewed Rivers. And I'm not going to lie. That scene with Bruce Willis and Marcellus Wallace changed how I viewed small town gun shops. It did. 
changed how I viewed small town businesses. And that might have even been a big town. I don't know. But I got to tell you, it's the same thing. And this happened on Christmas Day. About five or six years ago, we're just hanging out on Christmas Day at my house. Pulp Fiction came on. Everybody, everybody stopped and we watched. In fact, I'll never forget it. It was longer than five or six years ago because I'm watching it. And my now wife, then girlfriend, had dumped me for her longtime boyfriend. And I was texting her saying, just don't get engaged. Just don't get engaged. Like, I don't care, but don't get engaged. Because if she got engaged, then I had no shot. So she didn't get engaged. Long story short, by New Year's, ah, she was back in business with me. Numero three, Scarface. Scarface is freaking awesome. How many people are killed in Scarface? Tony Montana. The love story between his sister and his compadre. The darkness of the whole thing. The scene where he's got a mound of cocaine right there and he's just putting his face in it. Look, I'm no cinephile. I'm no guy that can break it down and how great it is. But I know this. Scarface is on. I'm watching. Tony Montana from A Young Kid. I'm watching. Coming over. How he built his empire. Seems real to me in Miami during those days. And I'm not going to lie. As I have gotten older, I came to appreciate putting your face in a whole big thing of cocaine. Now, I'm not a drug guy, although I'm not afraid to take a pain med when needed or Tylenol with a headache, but I'm not, I've never been dope smoking guy. I've never done it. I've never been gummy guy, although I've tried a cookie and it didn't do anything for me. So I've never been drug guy. So the drug trade fascinates me. There are three kinds of movies that I love. One, mob movies. Two, prison movies. Three, drug movies. And I got to tell you, Scarface combines all three. It combines all three. And I am here for it. It does. Now, everybody has their favorite, and feel free to give me your favorite. But those three right there, pretty good. You'd have a hard time. Now, the next one, you're not going to like. The next one you're going to say, yeah, I don't, uh, no. Mm-mm. I promise you. The next one you're going to say, yeah, uh, good movie, doesn't belong on this list. I debated because I did like Godfather 2. But number two for me is A Bronx Tale, another De Niro. A Bronx Tale has the greatest scene in the history of movies. Bikers come into the neighborhood, the Italian neighborhood in the Bronx, where the Bronx tale is set. They're being biker, kind of stereotypical biker guy. Now, I've come to find out that bikers are really good guys. They're not these guys normally. Now, look, I don't know about Hell's Angels. I don't know about all that. But for the most part, the guys you see riding in groups are pretty good guys. But a biker gang is different. They come in. Now, they're in this bar, which is owned and operated by the local Italian mob. And they're going to bust up the joint, right? They treat Sonny, the head of the neighborhood, not very well. They treat the bartender even worse. So what happens is this. Sonny gets kicked out by the bikers. All right. Sonny gets the fellas. 
And it's the greatest, one of the greatest lines in the history of movies. Sonny walks over. He locks the door. Guys come in with bats from the back. And he says, now you can't leave. Sonny had asked politely for the bikers to leave. They disrespected him. They were busting up his bar. He calmly walks over in his silk suit, locks the door. Now you can't leave. And here comes the fellas from the back, and it is on, and these bikers get beat within an inch of their lives. Their bikes get busted up. The whole thing is just one of the great, if not the greatest beatdown scenes in the history of mob movies. And we all know, we all know mob movies have some great beatdowns. Not some great beatdowns, great beatdowns. But this one is epic. Now yous can't leave. Who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to take on a bunch of bullies and go, now yous can't leave? One of the other great lines, of course, is pay the man his money in rounders. Oh, John Malkovich. Oh, Matt Damon. Two of the greatest lines, I think, in the history of television movies. Uh, number one for me, and this is dull, Mario Puzo wrote it, and I read this, I don't know if this is true, but The Godfather is my number one movie. Now, I don't know whether this is true. If you want a great experience, read The Godfather book. Books are always better than the movies because they go in depth. And Marlon Brando apparently was a complete pain in the backside, but I don't care. The movie is absolutely the standard by which all mafia movies are to be made. I'll tell you why. It's old school. It's old, a little bit of broken English, old school traditions. You know what I like? And this makes me weird. You know what I like? And I went out and bought them. My grandfather had the hottest bar in Northwest Indiana, in Gary, Indiana. It was called the Caribou Lounge. All the fellas came in there. In fact, Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five practiced there. They did. And on Sundays, my brothers and our family, we'd go in there, my cousins, and we would clean up. They had cigarette machines. We would wash behind the, behind the bar. We would wash the glasses. And he had these little wine glasses, little, not big chalice-like wine, wine glasses, old school. And uh, side note to the story, the Jackson Five, whose cartoon we would watch on Saturday, they would be practicing at my grandfather's bar because he had the only stage in Gary with lights indoors. The Jackson 5, Michael Jackson and the fellas would be practicing right there while we were cleaning up. That's true. In fact, there was a picture one time of the Jackson 5 signing a recording contract in the back of my grandfather's bar. I saw the picture. I just can't find the picture. And nobody seems to have it. But I digress. All that conversation was based on these little wine glasses. But the Mafia movie of all time, my opinion, is The Godfather because it combines old school with new school. Michael comes back from the war. Santino's out of his mind. He's just stooping, right? The crazy, the, the brother, the oldest brother, Fredo, who's a wimp, the youngest brother, or the younger middle brother, Santino, James Conn, rest in peace, insane. That's what we middle brothers are. We're nuts. We're out of our minds. 
the middle child, bah. And then, of course, Michael is the hero, right? Michael comes back from war with Kate. There isn't a better scene than at the wedding. There isn't a better scene when the old, I think it's Bruno, not Bruno Tattaglia, but whatever, forget the guy's name, but he's out there rehearsing. You are a very kind man. You are the best man ever. It would be me do my honor. I love it. An offer you can't refuse. Someday, I will ask you to do a favor for me. Yeah, the best. Anything after Godfather 2 is unwatchable. Godfather 2 should have made this list, could have made this list. Uh, maybe a lot of people feel like he should make their, it should make this list. But I got to tell you, it's the greatest mafia movie of all time, and it is The Godfather. Don't at me about it either. I don't want to hear about it. It's unbelievable. That's a heck of a list. You want a rainy Saturday? You want to be snowed in? Start with Casino. Work your way to Godfather. Call me in the morning and tell me unfreaking believable afternoon. And it all started because I, well, I, <laughs> I watched Casino. Don Rickles in Casino just gets beat over the head with a freaking phone. Hmm, good stuff. All right. All right, let's continue. It is five for Friday. I got to look. NFL surprises. Look, I'm going to keep talking about him, but Tua. Tua is number five. Not only is Tua and the Dolphins, are Tua and the Dolphins playing great, but this is a surprise to anybody. I don't care what you tell me. Tua is not first in passing that would be Josh Allen in passing yards. He is second in passing yards. Now, if we said after three games, and three's enough, if we said after three games, who would lead the league in passing? You all would say Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. Who would be second? You'd never say Tua. You wouldn't. So not only is Tua leading his team. Obviously, he has terrific wide receivers, but his numbers, and this is all based on statistics. These five guys uh, are based on statistic surprises, okay? That's how I'm looking at this. And one of them, one of them is based on contract, betting on himself, Aaron Judge, but that's not Tua. You know, all of a sudden, Tua's got weapons, right? All of a sudden, it's like, wow, here we go, Tyreek Hill, what do you say? Jalen Waddle, whoa. And I'm telling you, and I'll keep telling you, outside in is the way the NFL needs to be built, not inside out like my beloved Colts. Second in the league in yards at this point is stunning. It really is. Even though he's got weapons, still, come on, stunning. Numero four, Roquan Smith of the Bears is the leading tackler in the NFL. Now, on the surface, Roquan Smith being the leading tackler in the NFL isn't a big deal, right? He's a middle linebacker. It's a Chicago Bears, middle linebacker, Singletary, Butkus, Erlacher. You're supposed to do this. However, before the season started, and this is where people forget things, before the season started, Roquan Smith uh, wanted out. Roquan Smith was disrespected. Roquan, Roquan Smith, uh, well, 
People said he's being a pain. People said he's going to be a disruption. A guy who's a star on defense, not buying into the team. No, what Roquan Smith did was he got loud, made his opinion known, and then went out and balled there in judge style. Good for him. Great for him. And it is a bit of a surprise because you always wonder how guys that, oh, I don't know, uh, are mad, are angry, or are, you know, are they posturing? What are they doing? But Roquan Smith, pretty daggone good. And he returned the ball for a touchdown the other day. Uh, Dan, watched the offer on Amazon. I did. Respectfully, no. Godfather 2 has to be on that list. All right. I'm in. I'm in. I'm with you. Uh, Justin Smith says it's just garbage. But Justin Smith's one of those guys that if I said I'm wearing a red shirt, he would say it's garbage. You get to know these guys on Twitter. All right. Joe Flacco. Remember when everyone told me that Joe Flacco couldn't play? When everybody was making fun of Joe Flacco? What was going on with Joe Flacco? All Joe Flacco's done is, oh, I don't know, go out and he is fifth right now in the league. That's right. I said fifth in passing yards. I always thought Joe Flacco was one of those guys that never got the credit he deserved. The dude won a Super Bowl. We had a great defense. Shut up. Joe Flacco was very, 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 very good. Very good. By the way, on the YouTube chat, there is a question. Does Pulp Fiction count as a mob movie? I would agree Reservoir excuse me, Reservoir Dogs is more of a mob movie. I'm not betting on which mob movie is more mob movie. No. I'm not saying what is more of a mob. I'm just saying my favorite mob movies. And no, I don't have Goodfellas in there. Not sure why. Goodfellas gave me gas. Uh, Brett says Dan is on Oxy with this list. Maybe. Who's asked? What are you, a cop? All right, Flacco, fifth in yards. I never heard of this guy before, but I should. Alex Highsmith. Is he related to Alonzo? I think he is. Alex Highsmith. Now, I'm going to go through something here. Alex Highsmith had a total of six sacks last year. Six. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Six sacks. That's it. Six. You know, he's got four and a half right now. That's a surprise. Not a surprising as my number one. But Alex Highsmith right now playing in, well, a lot of people, well, well, T.J. Watt gets all the double teams. Well, T.J. Watt's not playing. And Alex Highsmith is. Again, you fantasy players, maybe you know Alex Highsmith. I don't know. I don't know Alex Highsmith. I have no idea who he is. I'm sure he's great. I don't follow the defensive rush of the Pittsburgh Steelers ever since L.C. Greenwood, Dwight White, and Mean Joe Green were gone, Ernie Holmes. Ever since they were gone, I haven't followed the pass rush of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But in looking at what's going on here in the NFL, this guy, Highsmith, four four and a half sacks this year, six all of last year. I'm down with that. I'm, I'm down with that. All right, number one. And, man, was he good the other day. Cordell Patterson. Now, people say, what do you mean surprise? He's a great player. Cordell Patterson's a great player. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I know this. 
Listen to this. Cordell Patterson has never gained more than 618 yards in an NFL season. Never. 2021, he gained 618 yards. Last year, that's what he did. That's the most he's ever gained. Dude's been in the league for a minute. Is he a wide receiver? Is he a punt? I don't know. What is he? Well, now all of a sudden, you know what he is in Arthur Smith's offense? He's a running back. Right now, Cordell Patterson has 302 yards through three games. Remember, that's damn near half his career-high rushing total in three games. That's a bit of a surprise. That is a big-time surprise. Ryan D says, I look very handsome today. I will never turn down the opportunity to say, hey, to a compliment. The YouTube chat, per use, is jumping. It is rocking. It is rolling. It is shaking. It is baking. Is Flacco still elite? Yes. Joe Flacco's always been elite. Don't at me about that nonsense. Of course he's elite. Yes. Uh, Flacco is going to Flacco, it has been said by BS. He'll be choking it out coming up shortly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Luca Brasi was the guy practicing his speech. You are a good man. You are a handsome man. I don't disagree with a lot of you that are saying on my list of greatest mob movies that Godfather 2 should be on. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying... This is my list. What has two thumbs and makes a list on Tuesdays? This guy. That's right. This guy. So you may not like it. Uh, Justin Smith doesn't like it. People are saying Godfather 2. Dan, did you watch The Office or The Offer? Yes, I did. I did watch The Offer, and I thought The Offer was tremendous. I thought The Offer was I couldn't stop watching it. In fact, this isn't a – I gave you this the other day. This isn't a mob movie, but – Uh, I got to tell you, The Terminalist is pretty good. Again, not a mob movie, but me like you, The Terminalist. Anyway, I digress. There you go. There's my five top mob movies. Discuss amongst yourself. Reservoir Dogs, tremendous. Uh, Goodfellas, outstanding. One of the classics. I get it. Donnie Brasco, read the book, watched the movie. Great. Not good. Great. Love that show. But I got to tell you, I'll stand by my five. And I think the Bronx Tale is very underrated. Now you can't leave. So don't. Tell your friends. We got Ennis Cantor Freedom coming up. The most interesting man in the world. I'm very excited about this. There are very few people in this day and age that I have an unbelievable respect for, and he is one. Here's what I'm going to ask, and I'm curious if you guys understand this question. First question I'm going to ask Mr. Freedom is this. What does everybody mean when they say that the NBA is in bed with China? What exactly does that mean? I think we all see that. I think we all feel that. And what does it exactly mean? I'm interested in that. And what sacrifices, and oh, there were many, did he have to make for his opinion? And what's his beef with Imi Udoka? Because he has beef. He feels like Udoka is the guy that blackballed him from the NBA. I want to get into all that with Ennis Freedom. I'm thrilled to have him on. Thanks to our friend Aaron 
uh, for getting it done. Awesome job. We'll talk to Ennis Freedom when we come back. But first, do yourself a favor. Go to DraftKings.com or download the DraftKings app or just put a little money in it. And when you go to DraftKings, you know what you get? You get $5 bet. Make just one $5 bet. And next thing you know, you get 200 in free bets. Go to outkick.com slash bet for more information. Be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Those of you that know me know that, man, I just have so much respect for people that stand up. It's the reason I left ESPN and came here to OutKick, freedom to speak and not worry about, well, you know, a boss calling you because you said something wrong. And Ennis Freedom is one of my favorite people because, well, not only did he stand up, but he stood up and lost something. I mean, I, I would argue, and anybody can argue it however they want, but he got blackballed by the NBA for his views, for his outspokenness. Ennis, let me ask you, you feel you got blackballed, correct? 100%, man. Unfortunately, when you... In an environment like NBA, when you talk about some of the things that, you know, affects their money and business, and they're going to do everything they can to silence you. You know, they call themselves, the, what, the, what frustrates me is they call themselves a social justice organization, right? And they will talk about the problems that are happening here in America because they know that it's not going to affect their business. Um, but something like China, which the big boss for the NBA, um, you know, when you attack them, then they're going to be like, okay, you know, your time is here, is done, goodbye. Um, I just wanted to expose the whole hypocrisy of NBA and how things work here. I, I was just very heartbroken because I actually, you know, spent 11 years in this league and I had an amazing time and they were so supportive when I was talking about Turkey because, Everybody knows that NBA doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of money in Turkey, but when it when the topic is about China, they said sorry. You know, and I, I was I was kind of going through your tweets. Um, you you are not, or you feel that the now beleaguered coach Emi Udoka had a hand in this, did you not, the Celtics coach? And it didn't really bother you to see what's going on with him right now. I mean, I'll just say always like how it is. You know, I don't really I don't really try to hide anything. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would never try. I would just say like it is. You know, unfortunately, with Dimo Doka, when I remembered what was, it was the first time I started talking about some of the problems that were happening in China, and all of a sudden, my minutes were starting to go down, you know? It was so funny because before I speak about China, I was literally, I played every game, every single game I played. And the day I started uh, to uh, talk about China, right? And it was gone. All my minutes were gone. And there was not even one single explanation why. Why he was benching me and why he was, you know, not playing me. And obviously media asked, I, I put something out there, and obviously media asked them, like, hey, you got cancer. Um, like, why are you not playing him? He's like, oh, because of the matchup issues and because of this and that. Listen, even my teammates 
on the bench and in the locker room are saying like, dude, we need you bad. We need you to out there to play because, you know, we are getting killed on rebounds. We are getting killed on this and that, you know, we need you out there. But I'm like, listen, I guess this, this is what big boss wants me to, uh, wants me to do. Let, let, let me go to this. Cause people ask me to ask you this. Um, when you and others talk about the NBA's involvement in China and the dollars that China uh, provides, walk me through this. What do you guys, what do you mean by that? What, what specifically or how specifically is China or is the NBA emboldened to the Chinese government and Chinese business? I'll just tell you this, you know, just last year, uh, I looked at the stats, more people watched NBA games in China than American population, over 400 million. Um, that's just only one. And two, I mean, there are over 100 and whatever billion people in China, right? Uh, one be Over 1 billion people in China. So, like, think about all the shoe sales, jersey sales, endorsement deals, and all the TV deals that NBA can get. It's like a billion dollars of business. So NBA knows that anything, any player, anyone that can hurt that business, they have no place in, the, uh, in NBA. Um, so that's why you can stand up for anything you want in the world. But when it comes to China, trust me, if NBA was making the same amount of money in Turkey, I would be cut from long time ago from the league. You know, um, but the, the hypocrisy side of side of this is killing me because I remember two years ago during the NBA bubble, it was all about social justice, right? It was all about, you know, they did it. So they put all the logos on the BLM logos on the uh, floor. They put all the phrases behind our jersey, which was controlled by the NBA. We couldn't pick what we, what we wanted to pick. You know, they only give us 20 words and they're like, okay, here you go. And I, I, I even asked one of my friends, I'm like, hey, I want to get something. I want to put something else. Say you wanted to put free Hong Kong or you wanted to put stand with Taiwan. Nope. They said only 20 words. Um, you know, it was all about social justice. And I'm like, okay, you know, fine. But don't just pick that and say sorry to that one. You know, it was just like, the hypocrisy side was just like, it really uh, killing me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to expose this whole system to the whole world. When you decided to do that, and mm -hmm. did you know that Odoka or the Celtics or, who, or the NBA, did you know that your career was in jeopardy? After the first game, I talk about, I believe, Tibet. You know, one of my teammates woke up to me in Madison Square Garden in New York. And he said, you know, your career, career is over, right? You know, this is your last year in the league. Have fun with it. I hope you win a championship. I hope that, you know, you have a lot of joy this year, but because you're not going to get another contract after this. And this was only the first game after the first game. And I only talk about Tibet. I did not even talk about the Nike or MBA or any of the other topic that I talked after that, but it was just Tibet. Um, 
I just, I was like, you know what? I mean, it's basketball is fun. I literally put my whole life into this game. I played 11 years in this league. Before that, I played college, high school, and overseas and stuff. But I was like, I was just not able to go to sleep at night when I knew that while we are dribbling the ball here on the other side of the world, people are getting tortured and raped every day. There's a genocide happening while we are playing basketball. So I was like, you know what? This is bigger than myself, bigger than NBA, bigger than basketball, or bigger than any check that they can offer me, you know? So, um, yeah, after the first game, a lot of people called me and my, even one of my teammates woke up to me and said, this is it for you. Man, so how, all you're doing, in my opinion, now tell me if I have this wrong, I just want to make sure people understand what you're doing is you're saying, look, if we're going to stand up here in the United States, then there are other places we need to stand up too. One of them is China. Let's stop taking all the money from a country whose uh, human rights atrocities are well known. These aren't hidden atrocities, right? Everybody knows. You know, all you got to do is, is pay attention. And that's all you're saying. What? The money is so big that you, Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey just sent a little tweet out. And next thing mm -hmm. you know, he, you knew he was going to be fired, right? It was just a matter of time. I'll, I'll tell you a crazy story. So when Daryl tweeted about Free Hong Kong uh, around a little over two years ago, right, um, it became a huge mess for the NBA. And Celtics, I was playing for the Celtics two years ago. Celtics ma made me media unavailable for two weeks during that time because they knew I could care less about their money or business. I will go out there and say it like how it is and be like, well, Daryl was right. You know, um, I couldn't believe that, you know, in America, that how they could make me media unavailable for two weeks. Um, also, that point, I was like shocked. I was like, this is something that I've never witnessed before in my life. So two years later, I started to, to talk about China. I started to uh, talk about, you know, Hong Kong and all the other ones. And uh, I had a conversation with Daryl. He said, listen, they made me apologize. They made me took my tweet down. They put a lot of pressure on me. You know, they made me give up, but you don't give up. You don't take your tweet down. You keep fighting because this is the, the right thing to do. And after hearing that, I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care how much money is involved. I am going to just destroy this whole system, you know, and just expose the whole thing to the whole world. Um, when Daryl tweeted that thing two years ago, NBA put two statements out there. One of them was for the world, was saying that we have our, you know, employees back and this is free speech and we support them and blah, blah. The other one was for the um, Chinese government saying that, I guess he was not, he, we are sorry, he wasn't educated enough and blah, blah, stuff, something like that. I, I'm not really sure the person, but this is, this, this is like one of the biggest hypocrisy. And that was just, it was so frustrating, you know? And um, yeah, a crazy story. 
What, what would you like to see the NBA do? And before I answer that, or before you answer that, I hear all this great stuff about Adam Silver. He's into all this stuff. He's the most woke guy, blah, 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 blah. Has Silver and you, have you ever had a conversation? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, we had a, we had, we had a lot of conversations, yes. I remember calling him right after I criticized Nike. And I had a 30, over 30-minute 30 conversation with him. And he actually admitted that. I mean, if you go on my Twitter and Instagram, you can pretty much hear him saying that. I put it out there because I wanted to expose the whole thing. Um, he was pretty much admitting that and saying, listen, you know, what you're standing for is so amazing, but at the end, we are a business. And we have a business to run. And after hearing that, I'm like, I lost all my respect for Anderson. You know, all my respect. Um, what I want to see from NBA is... First of all, your biggest sponsor is Nike. They're one of the biggest hypocrite company out there. You look at Nike, right? They stand for Black Lives Matter in America, Latino community, no Asian hate, LGBTQ community in America. But when it comes to China, they're silenced. That's one. And two, I mean, everybody in the world knows now about the slipping, you know? So... I will want NBA to stop working with a company like Nike and two, stop trying to silence players who wants to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And NBA is an environment. It's like, if you tell your real opinion, then you are going to get hated so much. I have so much, I have so many, you know, Republican um, teammates and coaches and they were so scared to tell the, everyone around them who they are or who they support. I remember whenever I go on a channels like, you know, Fox News or News, Newsmax, whatever, they used to come up to me and say, hey, man, we, we watched you last night with my family. We support you. Don't tell anyone I'm telling you this, but keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so, like, horrible. They have to hide who they are. They have to hide who they vote for. I remember uh, I was on Fox News uh, one time and then I went to a practice. This coach came up to me and literally whispered my ear and say, hey, man, I watched you last night. Good job. Yeah, you know, you, you, you just become my dad's favorite uh, player. And I'm like, why are you whispering? It's because of, like, if, he said, because if I tell anyone who, who I support or what I watch, then I'm going to get harassed and be put pressure on whole year, you know? And I was just very confused. I, after I, you know, changed my last name to Freedom, I promise you, I started asking this question to myself. Are we really free in America? I don't know. I really don't know. We knew how can a Chinese government, Chinese dictatorship, can run a 100% American-made company and fire an American citizen. So I start asking questions to myself. And the more I done research, like you see NBA, you see Hollywood, you see Wall Street, academias, big tech, Congress, and local Congresses. And I'm like, like, are we really free in this country? Or are we really letting these dictatorships out there just literally run everything that we we built, America built? So I was very confused. What would happen, like, 
um, w- 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 you challenged LeBron, who is, you know, Nike athlete, all that kind of stuff, and a civil rights guy. You've challenged him to speak out on China. And what what's the reaction from, like, LeBron's people or other players' people when you challenge them to stand up to something that everybody with common sense understands is a wrong? If you're going to fight you know, for social justice here, you can't be so hypocritical and and deal Mm -hmm. over there, right? So what's the response when you challenge these guys? Not only LeBron, but I try to reach out to, you know, so many other players, not just just people in NBA, but WNBA, other major league sports, actually. I try to reach out to people in NFL, NHL, MLB, MLS, MLS. So I literally try to reach out to every athlete that I can reach out to. And it was... It was the perfect moment because it was right before the Beijing Olympics. I even tried to reach out to Olympians. And I was like, listen, do not be part of the propaganda. You are not going there to compete. You are going there to become their propaganda. You know, Um, I had a long conversation with my teammates. I mean, they're like the closest. And they all said the same thing. They said, listen, we love you. We support you. But we just cannot do it out loud. I asked them why. They said, listen, we have shoe deals, endorsement deals. We want to get another contract. You know, I think what you're doing is so amazing, but we just cannot help you. Sorry. I asked them one simple question. I was like, put yourself in their shoes. If your mother, if your daughter, if your sister was in those concentration camps and getting tortured and raped every day, would you still stay silent? They usually turn around and go back. They don't even say a word about anything. Um, I think to all the athletes out there who's watching this, they need to understand that when you put your signature on a paper and signing deals with companies like Nike and or whoever, you know, do some little research and educate yourself. You, because you're not only putting your signature, you're putting your name and your fame, your whole uh, family's name on that paper. And you literally become part of that propaganda, part of that uh, company. I have no respect for Nike athletes because they stand up for the things happening in America because they know that they're going to get a lot of PR out of it. And it's not going to affect their endorsement deals or money. But things like happening in China, they're silent, you know. So uh, I wish more people, more players, more athletes just, you know, stand with me because it would have created a big moments, but I'm hoping, I hope in the future. Have any stood up with you? No, I, I reached out to so many people. <laughs> I reached out to so many athletes. I even reached out to WNBA players, not even one. Actually, I don't want to expose her name. One of them was going to do something with me about the, the, the Uyghurs, you know, um, we had a good conversation. We were texting back and forth. We wanted to, we decided to put a video out there together. And the day before we were going to post it, they said, sorry, you know, I have a Nike deal and they will kill me if I post anything out there. And that broke my heart so bad, you know. Um, no, I'm thinking right now there is not even one single, not, forget about the athletes. I reached out to a uh, you know, actors in Hollywood. I reached out to so many other celebrities. For some reason, when the topic is China, 
they are so silent. They cannot say a word about it, you know? And that was just, I was like, I have to open this door and show the whole world that, you know, this is what's going on. And I hope others will uh, follow. You know, basketball players, I've always said this, basketball players, obviously, you run around in your underwear. You're not a football player with a helmet on. It's an international global sport. It seems to me that if the NBA were really about social change, really about social justice, not only here, but with their business partners in countries where they do business, it wouldn't take a whole lot of NBA athletes to make a real change here, would it? I mean, l l listen, if some of the athletes were, would have stand, you know, next to me, if they would have stand for the things that I stand for, NBA had no other choice but stand with us, you know, NBA or Nike. Like, think about if a couple of the big Nike athletes started to criticize Nike about their, you know, uh, slave labor move. You know, they have no choice but to move out of Xinjiang area. And they, would have, they will save millions of people's lives. Um, it's just a matter of like how much they care about their morals, principles, and values. Unfortunately, I have not seen uh, any of it yet. When, when you go around, you're obviously very popular. I mean, they gave you a key to city in Miami, things like mm. that. Taking athletes out of it, all right? Say, take, you know, mm. a Nike athletes, whatever, out of it. What percentage of people do you feel, and maybe it's not fair to ask you, but, you know, but what percentage of people support you? I mean, if, if you take out the sports world, you know, everywhere I go, people come up to me and said, did they, uh, listen, I played 11 years in the league. They do not say a word about um, you win this many games or you achieve this many you know, success, this, they always talk about the, what happened the last six, seven months. They said, listen, man, you have done something that no athlete ever, you know, have done. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep standing up for what you believe in. Keep standing up for the, for the right things and innocent people around the world. No, it's like, um, this is definitely, I mean, people are, like, the, if you take out the sports world, definitely there are so many people in America, you know, are standing with me. I'm like, I come to DC, I go to Florida, I go to Texas, I go to, I don't know, some of the other beautiful states. And they said, listen, man, this is every governor I will say I have met so far wants me to move to their, um, uh, their state. Every people, every mayor that I have met, I'm like, listen, you need to move to this. This is your city. This is your state especially like in Miami, you know, I've been getting so many, you know, I say, hey man, you need to move to Miami or like from even DeSantis, you know, the governor DeSantis said, listen, you need to move to Florida. This is your state. This is a, the state of freedom and everything. So like, no, I, I do get lots of like, also positive advice from uh, many people. Let me go back. Um, the money is insane, right? If you were going to say to me, if the NBA did stand up to China, all right, and the NBA said, look, we're going to break ties unless things are different in China. It, it, people feel like the NBA couldn't exist. I, is, that, is that even remotely true? 
I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, obviously, it's a huge uh, market. It's obviously billions of dollars are involved. But if NBA ever does anything like that, it's like, listen, till things change here and there in uh, China, we are not going to, you know, we are cutting ties or we are, you know, uh, changing our mindset. But no, I'm, I mean, there's so many other countries in the world that they can get into and they could they could make the not maybe not as much the same money, but you know that close to the money that they're making in China. But uh, I mean that is the right thing to do. That's what NBA should do, you know, uh, or just stop talking about the social justice here in America because that sh- that people are like literally laughing. People are laughing so bad. They're saying, how can you? stand up for the things in America, but won't say a word about the things that happen in China. And you make more money in China than anywhere else in the world. People literally are laughing, you know? And you, and that shows, and you look at the views of NBA, any views like All-Star, NBA Finals, or play, playoff games, are they're going down every year because people are finally waking up to that hypocrisy. And you're trying to make the Chinese audience happy. Sorry, not Chinese audience, Chinese government happy. But here in America, you're losing millions of people. People are laughing. I, after I got fired, I, so many people, thousands of people, canceled their sus- subscription to MBA because of the hypocrisy of, uh, of them. You know, so like you're trying to win a dictatorship, but on the other side, you're losing Americans. So is it? Does it really worth it? It doesn't make sense. How important was it for you to become an American citizen? Oh, my God. I mean, the, I'm, I'm sure you guys know that the last five, six years, I have been pretty much like homeless. Um, you know, the, my own, you know, country, Turkey, revoked my passport, and they even put my name on Interpol. So, I mean, I was pretty much, I couldn't leave America because I didn't have a passport. And any place I would have gone, then they, they could have deported me back to uh, church. Um, I mean, becoming an American citizen, I remember sworn in, and I remember the judge finally said, okay, you're all done. You're a finally American citizen now. I was just, it was so emotional. And I was like, finally, I have a home. I have a place where I can call home, you know? Because America gave me so much from day one. It opened her arms and gave me a warm welcome. And all the people here were so respectful to me. They were so nice to me. I was like, I want to become part of this, you know? Um, no, I, it was definitely uh, that's something that I could not expect, explain with words. Last thing, and I'll let you go. You mentioned earlier that, you know, basketball had been your whole life. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. You and I were talking off air. I remember when you came to Kentucky. I remember that NCAA said you couldn't play. I remember Cal telling me, hey, look, if we had Anus, Ennis, we would have won the national championship. You were on scholarship but weren't allowed to play. Correct me if I'm wrong. You left millions or, or at least hundreds of thousands overseas playing professionally to come over here. Is that not correct? Oh, I hate the NCAA rules because NCAA itself making billions <laughs> of dollars. But when it comes to players, they, you cannot even buy them a meal or you'll be in, in trouble. So I turned down millions of dollars in Turkey when I was 16, you know, 
I just wanted because the reason was I wanted to come to America and play basketball and go to school same time. And because education was so important to me and my family. Um, after a while, they said, sorry, you know, you play professional in, um, in Turkey and you're not allowed to play in NCAA and you're permanent, permanently ineligible. And at that moment, I was like, I literally turned down millions of dollars. I literally turned down a professional team in Turkey. I could have played EuroLeague. And then after that, you know, I came here. But I had so many meetings with uh, NCAA and they were appeal- we appealed it and stuff. But it just, I just hate the NCAA. I'm just going to say it like it is, you know. And I will definitely um, look into take some actions against the NCAA in, in the future because this is unacceptable. Man, I really appreciate your time. Uh, what do you got going today? What's a day in your life? What are you doing today? <laughs> well, now, because of all the things that I have stood up for, I've been getting so many invites from so you know different kind of events or different kind of you know universities or uh, you know big crowds to just come and speak. So uh, the last I got, I guess, fired or banned, whatever you call it, from the NBA in February eight. Uh, and I have been traveling since. It's been eight months, you know. Um, so I'm literally just going around and speaking and actually meeting with some important people and trying to find out what can we do to fix the whole uh, system. I hope people get on board. It doesn't seem like that's that difficult to fix. For Look, I, yeah. maybe I'm wrong, all right? Let me – if you're a billionaire, what what, what? – what does LeBron James have to lose for standing up and doing the right thing? Okay, maybe some sponsors get mad, but God dang, at some point you got to do the right thing. There, there's a, there's a um, news came out and said 40 NBA owners got tied up $10 billion in China. I mean, that pretty much clearly shows that why am I still not in the Yeah. And, and you're right. No, yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't, I mean, like billionaires or LeBron or all the other owners out there, you know? We have nothing to worry about. And you're going to be rich to the rest of your life. And you're still thinking about your business over your morals and principles and values. Unacceptable. I agree. I agree. Keep the fight, man. Keep the fight. I really sure. admire you. And I'm, I'm so thankful you spent 30 minutes with us. Uh, thank you very much. No, thank you so much for inviting me. No, oh, man, uh, I, I, there are very few people that I admire. I admire him. I do. He stands up. I mean, he stands up for what is right. I've never understood this. I, I, I haven't. I mean, everybody stands up in their own way. Uh, standing up cost me a lot of money back when I was in West Virginia. But thanks to everybody involved in our show for getting that done. We'll be back tomorrow. We got to run. Hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your day. See you.